0: All right, guys. Blessed Feast of Pentecost today here at Missio Day's Writer Circle. And uh, thanks for joining us here um, let's see YouTube Live. Um, just before we get started here, um, I just want to talk about um, ways that you can support the uh, content of Missio Day. We really appreciate it if you go to I
1: don't know if we got that one.
2: <laughs> I don't know. MissyOdayCatholic.org. There you we go.
1: We got that in. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to help Philip out a little bit today. It seems like his. uh, uh Yeah, he's got uh, some internet connection problems. Issues, so don't worry, Philip. Yeah. We got the uh address for you MissyOdayCatholic.org.
0: All right, thank you, thank you very
2: I much. I
1: always do .com, by the way. Every time I go there, so make sure you know you do that. Yeah, it's
2: .org and Twitter. Find us on Twitter at missyoday 451. Go check us out. Excellent, excellent.
1: Yeah, I don't use Twitter, so I need to actually
2: get on it, Jonathan. <laughs> I, I am scared. a little. <laughs> so am I, but I got on anyway. <laughs>
1: All right, I am on Instagram. So we'll have to talk right. about that later.
0: Yeah, uh, Jonathan, if you can, you weren't you weren't with us last time, so can you introduce yourself and tell people about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, i glad to be here for one. Uh, me and Philip, Philip and myself, sorry, met at uh, Holy Apostles College. I'm currently a teacher in Utah. And I teach in middle school of theology, and my master's degree is in moral theology, apologetics. Which I've finished up my last semester right now. So um yeah, and glad to be writing Miss Yo Day. We had a, uh, you know, we've been having some great articles lately. Really glad to be part of it.
0: Yeah, excellent, excellent. Um are, any projects uh that you're working on? I know you're working on a thesis. What's tell me about that.
1: Yeah, I, I I am you know, I have to do the thesis. I think you got out of it, didn't you? You got around it somehow. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, I was I was, uh, I matriculated under a different uh, program, so.
1: Yeah, they made me like, you know, probably with my English being harsh, you know, being, uh, you know, raised in Florida. No offense, uh, Melissa.
2: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: just, I, just, I love Florida. Believe me, I love it. Uh, but I didn't probably have the best uh, high school uh, training, so I had to really work on something. Anyways, long story short, the thesis of in a nutshell, kind of about a properly formed conscience. And I'll, you know, I do use some examples about with the vaccine and people that have chosen to take it and not take it. And Pope Francis's position, which comes from a more social teaching aspect, but he didn't really emphasize also the right of a person's conscience, which for particular people like Bishop Rocky and the CDF. I put forward to say that, you know, it is morally acceptable to not take it as well. So I thought it was a good area to study not just on the vaccine topic, but on what is a properly formed Catholic conscience. And, you know, are we sometimes making, you know, what are we being influenced by mostly to, you know, make our to, that forms our conscience, right? You know, where are we it's leaning? It's- in What directions? And I think both parties, by the way, can make Make errors in this. Your very traditional Catholics could probably slip here too. So we want sure. to make sure that we're not just biased completely, right, with what fits our, our comfort zone. So I'll, yeah, I'll sure. let you read it. When I, I'm getting pretty good. I'm getting a lot of uh, good feedback from my instructors on it
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We're gonna we're actually gonna talk a little bit about conscious today. I got some points right. for you to kind of expand on, might and. Take some uh, more <laughs> yeah, excellent. <laughs> um yeah, I think that's uh definitely a, a good uh good thing to to be working on and exploring. Um uh you know, sometimes uh you know it's the cris the crises at hand that give us these opportunities to explore these topics.
1: Uh, yeah. Necessity is the mother of invention. It's one of my favorite uh, Yes you know right. thoughts. It's like when I'm pushed in a corner and we all get pushed in corners, we have to think of ways to get on them. <laughs> sure, or make new
0: things. Well, um, Melissa, we're going to get to you towards the end, so you can talk a little bit more about uh, your your book. Then we'll give you the the uh, the grand the keynote, so to speak, <laughs> uh, finale of the podcast. So um, I just want to talk story. about. So it's Pentecost, right?
2: And yes. So, it's Pentecost.
0: so you know, come Holy Spirit, Amen. Uh, so I just want to talk about get a little uh, introduction to Pentecost. Uh, of course, Pentecost is a feast that originates in Judaism or from Judaism. Um, some s- biblical scholars or just scholars to get all together, historians, they connect it to ancient agrarian feasts and basically incorporated into Judaism, where um, everyone went to Jerusalem and they um, offered thanksgiving to God uh, for the first fruit, harvest uh you can find this in leviticus uh chapter 23 and also in exodus chapter 34 um talks about that in a little more detail now melissa coming from a jewish background is um was this something you guys celebrated um
2: no nothing that you know no, I, I didn't come from a religious household, and so um, I actually, um, when we talk about my book a little bit later, I actually just finished a chapter where I talk about the holiday of Sukkot, um, which, which is another harvest-based festival, mm. and um, talked about the Erog and the Bundle, and so um, I had more of a familiar, familiarity with Sukkot, only because that was something that was taught to me when I went to Hebrew school. Um, but I don't recall anything with regards to um, to Pentecost I really learned about Pentecost when I came into the church
0: sure well just on Pentecost in general then um, so it's a it's a Thanksgiving feast do you think this is something any of you guys can answer in whatever order you choose uh, yourselves to answer uh, do you think Thanksgiving and being grateful to, towards the Lord is this something that Christians are missing in their day-to-day and maybe missing in their prayer life
1: um first off before i answer that question or i'd like to i'd like to ask melissa maybe she can answer two questions here that question and if she could explain a little bit what sukut was is it sukkot sukkot
2: Sukkot, which is another festival i think think, yeah so a lot of We'll get into it later, obviously, because we're talking about Pentecost, but suffice it to say that my husband said it best when he said, when we became Catholics, we learned how to be Jews. So, um, (laughs) you know, because that's when we really understood everything uh, when we came into the church. So uh, there's many, many festivals, but it's really hard to understand them when you haven't had that in your background, you know, as a a non-religious Jew. All
0: right. Thanks. So, so, Jonathan, are you going to answer my question now?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so refresh my memory here. Uh, what's the answer?
2: Gratitude. Oh. Gratitude.
0: Gratitude and thanksgiving. <laughs> thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I find that we're often quick to ask God for, you know, petitionary uh, things. But when things are going good in our, our life, do you think typically Christians uh, are conscious of it and offer thanksgiving to the Lord?
1: i i always didn't do that so i can just speak from my own experience here i mean i've i do that much much more often now i'm very thankful every day and i'm always giving thanksgiving um, just because my life was very challenging before until i really gave into my catholic faith and really really started to practice it and wasn't just a nominal catholic so I take the, uh, there's an effort that has to be put into this that we all have to do here, because uh, there's so many things in yeah. the world that are you know constantly coming at us, uh, mm-hmm. and I think this is the biggest issue probably with I don't want to speak for everybody or paint with a broad brush, here, but I'm sure that married people, non-married people, uh, have a lot of challenges with with giving Thanksgiving and being very thankful for you know a day like this too
0: all right thanks thank Jonathan, melissa what what do you think
2: um so I, what i was thinking about when you were asking that question it's good timing for me because i recently um started to subscribe to bishop barron's new uh liturgy of the hours which i wrote an article about on missio day um he now has put it in a condensed version um where you get a subscription every month and um the reason that I ordered Liturgy of the Hours was number one, I was always fascinated by it being Jewish, and and praying at certain times of the day and having sort of a rhythm to that. Um, but an even greater reason I ordered it was also because it had so many. It's really psalm based, right? And has so much, uh, so many hymns of gratitude in there that when I started it, actually the first booklet came out June first. Um, It was such a different way of praying for me. It's only been a couple of days, but it sort of incorporates that um, Thanksgiving, that gratitude that you're out so it's already there for you so you know if there are people out there I I hear you Jonathan sometimes gratitude or thanksgiving is is difficult and that's what I love about you know being you know that liturgical year the the liturgical factor in the church which is so similar to uh Judaism which is to incorporate some of that richness of that of that text of that scripture that's already there for you that God has already written and breathes his holy spirit into so I would really encourage um anyone who's having a problem with that area to maybe grab, um, Bishop Aaron's, uh, Liturgy of the Hours, which was just produced, or, you know, even read some of it, which is available online, if you don't want to commit yet to the full, the books that are going to come every month.
0: Excellent. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. Um, yeah, I know the, uh, I do, I do morning prayer for sure every day. And I know the, uh, uh, the opening Psalm 95 is very helpful, and also the uh, the benediction from um, uh, Zechariah in the New yes, Testament. Yes, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 very helpful. Um, in fact, um, so my um, my oldest child John, I named him John because of that benediction. Because when we were mm-hmm. waiting to have a child, um, that that benediction is about John the Baptist. My, uh, shall be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord perish away. So every day when we were waiting to have, a, to have a child, I I would pray to God and be like, you know, God, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, if you bless us with a child, I'm going to teach him about you and teach him to follow you the best of my ability. And so uh, when we were finally blessed, that's, that's why I named him John after, I after love that. that. Yeah. Well, moving more into the Pentecost, um, one of the things I want to talk about, and this is kind of like the charism of Missio Dei, is the, um, you know, the proclamation of the gospel, so the mission aspect of the faith. And this is something that's very, very vital and almost probably foundational to Christianity. And one aspect in the beginning of Acts of the Apostles, um, Acts chapter 1, and it's verses 5 and 8, it talks about uh, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a a prophecy (coughs) in the New Testament, is actually one of the most frequent prophecies found in the New Testament. So, of course, this begs the question, if it comes up so so much, what does it actually mean? So, now I'm going to ask you guys what you think it means, and then I'm going to give you the... uh, the, the the biblical sacred scripture background af- after and see we'll see how much it messes up we're gonna do a little exegesis interpretation here so
2: uh,
0: yeah uh, Jonathan I'm gonna pick you because you're looking down you're not you're not even you're you're avoiding eye contact with me
1: I, I, I was just actually reading someone... he's cheating Philip he's cheating oh <laughs> oh no I, I, yeah yes I uh, a little. Bit. I, <laughs> I was I was looking through that verse just now. Yeah, but I won't. You know, anyway.
2: <laughs> There's no rules. You can look at it. <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> I just
1: wanted to familiarize myself with the reading.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah. So baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jonathan.
1: Question on me, huh?
0: Yeah. Say more. Say more about it. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's uh, let's see here. Uh, let me just read just a tad it, here so I understand. If you are put
0: that. too much on the spot, I can I can just uh, just go for it here.
1: So what I would say is, obviously we're um, promised this through Jesus, right? I mean, we, we find the Holy Spirit through Jesus.
0: Yeah, Jesus talks about it in John uh, chapter three yep. uh, to Nicodemus.
1: Correct. Um, so yeah. I'll
0: get I'll give I'll give you the I'll give you the uh, the scriptural background on it to kind of to to sparse out uh, conversation here. So Acts one is actually it it the way that it's set up it's it's uh, typological. So it refers it the way that. Luke writes it it's in reference to the Old Testament passages and it's reference to the Old Testament passages of Deuteronomy 34 and 2nd Kings and so what it's uh, how it's phrased up is oh, in those, in those Old Testament passages you have a passing of authority you have a passing of authority and spirit so in the first case in Deuteronomy you have the passing of the spirit and authority of moses to joshua and joshua now heads the israelites in the promised land in the second reference you have uh the passing of the spirit of of authority from elijah in, to elisha so elisha requested to have the power of god and he was told he could have the power of god if he witnessed um, Elijah being raised up into the heavens and of course he did that on the fiery chariot and so the power of God to, uh, to show people to proclaim um, the prophetic message and to work miracles is given to Elisha um, now of course a lot of the um, Old Testament um, miracles and stuff foreshadow of Elisha it's a prefiguring of, of Christ himself so you have similar like feeding stuff like that now in regards to acts um one and we'll get into this a little bit about how um, the mission is not complete when it comes to christianity and salvation um, is that christ so acts opens up with the ascension and acts jesus is giving the mission and the spirit to the apostles and then also the disciples all of us who would be baptized and confirmed in, in, by the sacraments of the Catholic Church. So that's the background. So what does that mean for you guys in your own lives?
2: Well, you talk about mission. You know, you're talking about send the sending out. You know, you're talking about igniting the the seven gifts, right, of the Holy Spirit. I think it, it's exactly what we're doing. You know, I'm assuming using the gifts that God's given us to spread the gospel. Jesus, um, to talk about our church that we love so much, which is Jesus's church. And I think, uh, I mean, at least I've been part of the charismatic movement from time to time. So I've been to charismatic, they talk about about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. They, they talk about all these gifts and I really think, you know, igniting those gifts is important because if you have gifts that God's given you, I was just talking to this, uh, my son about this, when God gives us these gifts and we don't use them. Um or we don't use them you know for him and for his glory. I think that they're just sort of wasted, right that God made us who we are for a reason with the gifts that we have for reasons so um, I don't know It is a big it is a giving, but I also see Pentecost as you know a celebration of those things and those gifts you know, and marking the end of the Easter period that 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 God is you know God has given us
0: yeah. excellent, yeah, I'm definitely um... Not liturgically so, but um, Jonathan and I, and I have uh, um, talked about this a lot, and I, I'm definitely influenced by um, the charismatic movement as in um, kind of like the theological perspective of Ralph Martin. Um, I think he's a really great theologian, and whenever I hear Ralph uh, speak, I always... Um, I I believe what he's saying because he, he acts as if... Just as real, like right next to him. He acts if the Holy Spirit is actually working through him. It's not some far off far off Id- <coughs> it's it's a reality in how he speaks about it. And I think that's definitely a key when we um, when we evangelize is trying to capture that that actual event, that reality. Jonathan, you wanna add anything? <coughs> well-
1: not really too much. I mean, I think uh, Melissa really, with the mission, well, the word mission really sticks out with me in this particular area. And it's a very special time for me, uh, the Pentecost, because I really was thinking yesterday. I went to Mass, and it was very beautiful, and I was really trying to connect deeper with the Holy Spirit too in the evening time. And you know, I was thinking about some of the you know, seven things I like counsel for one and how i need that and i seek that counsel i don't think i'm doing that all year all year round so i'm really glad pentecost is a good reminder for me that the the holy spirit is continually around me and i need to uh be in constant communication
0: sure excellent yeah the one thing i wanted to kind of pivot here a little bit is um of course we had a an article that came out this week, and it uh, quoted uh, Cardinal Walter Casper. And one of um, the—so I I commented on that article, and I think what um, I was trying to convey is that, so um, this—it's been kind of a—there's been kind of a thought process after Vatican II, and and Ralph Martin talks about this a lot, where uh, mission and evangelization is— kinda of no longer needed. We're we're not we're not you know, everyone there there's this sense that everyone's going to be saved and they don't have to do anything, just kick and let's just have a good time. And I think that's been very detrimental to um Christianity as a whole. And so um that's why I kinda wanna emphasize and especially through Missio Day, this um you know, this role of mission and proclamation of the gospel. So I'm gonna read the quote to you guys. Um, the quote from Walter Casper was, the kingdom of God is a person, Jesus Christ himself. So the first line, I'm like, okay, excellent. I I can agree with that. I can get on board with that. Then it goes on the next two to three sentences. In him, the kingdom of God has already appeared. The astrological message of Jesus and the New Testament is therefore a novelty. And that's when I begin to go, Oh no. The eschaton has already occurred in the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus. God's kingdom, which has already begun, is justice, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's definitely the line, the eschatological message of Jesus in the New Testament is therefore a novelty. That's that's the big money line that I have issue with. Now, I'm going to compare... The, why, why do I think this is a problem for the mission of the church and the proclaiming the gospel? Um, because of our culture. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a quote uh, to uh, compare from Pope Benedict XVI. Uh, he gave at, a, at an Angelus. He says, The true death, on the other hand, which is to be feared, is the death of the soul which the book of Revelation calls the second death. In fact, those who die in mortal sin without repentance, repentance, locked into their proud rejection of God's love, exclude themselves from the kingdom of life. Period. I think that's what's at stake here. There's definitely a... The, the problem that I have with... Um, uh, Cardinal Casper's quote is, "Is that so? The teachings of Vatican II that we can hope that all that that many will have the opportunity to salvation, but hope and possibility is very different from probability. And I think that's that's the key there. really hope for salvation for humanity, but Christ gives us all a mandate." And because he gives us a mandate and he gives us a commission, um, any uh, at before he's raised up in the ascension and gives us the power from on high from the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. this mandate isn't a passive one. We can't just say it's finished. We can't say it's done. What do you guys think?
1: Yeah, well, um, Melissa do you have
2: something you want to say no I mean it, it doesn't really make much sense to me especially as a convert um you know everything that I do in my life is to honor you know and glorify Jesus or I I hope that's what I'm doing in the hopes that people will see Christ in me you know and and honor him in the way that be honored it's part of our mission as Christians it's part of it's part of the church um anything apart from that doesn't make much sense to me. I mean, even thinking about my own conversion, um, what would be the sense of coming into the church, losing everything? I mean, friends, family, everything. Um, in the context of that, in real life, and I, and I really like to gauge things in real life because sometimes we can talk theology a, a lot of the time until you kind of meet somebody that has done that, right? Um, or maybe talk to somebody who's been persecuted in another country because we don't really have you know thankfully we don't have those issues here um or or as much obviously in the way that it happens in other in the way it happens in other countries um but I just can't I can't fathom that I I don't really understand that um it sort of makes me feel like my conversion would be null, null and void to a certain extent because if the person who um brought me I would say into Christianity without even knowing it by the way didn't live her life the way that Jesus lived his, then I would have never known who he was. So, I mean, that's her whole our, our, her purpose and her being and who she was and me just watching her and saying, whatever she is, I want to be that. That's literally how I became a Christian. Um, and she could have been anything, right? She could have been anything. But, um, so it, it's confusing to me as a, con- as a convert, personally.
0: Sure. Well, there's certainly, so this statement let me bring it back over here the eschatological message of jesus in the new testament is therefore a novelty it doesn't to me from so of course my masters is in theology and sacred scripture so from a context point of sacred scripture it's un, it's it's not biblical to me uh because mm-hmm. the gospel from the gospels every gospel is a post resurrection document because they were written after Jesus has have has already rose after the dead. All the letters of St. Paul, post-resurrection documents, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, and so forth. So they're all written so the good news that, that's recorded and written down that comes from the lips of Christ, they're all telling us this message for the purposes of telling other people the Christ event. So it to say yeah, to exactly. say the to say that the end times has already come kind of a, a retrospective writing it just it, it it didn't make it didn't make much sense to me. And I think so this is where we're going to pivot into conscious, Jonathan. Hey, Philip, so can I
1: ask you something real quick on that? Sure.
0: Though?
1: Was there I remember this article, was there a a cate a catechism quote
0: in there there yes there is there is a catechism quote and then um in the article i really
1: remember uh resonating with this with the early church fathers and the catechism quote and saying that's good enough for me that's where you know and casper i've read a little bit of his stuff and he's he's obviously a little more on the progressive end of things um i just would hearken honestly more to the catechism here and what it's sure
0: I well know. i definitely I'm just addressing Casper specifically his kind of theological thought here yeah. um Which is i cool mean there in the article itself there's a lot there's a there's a lot of different uh expressions and viewpoints that are in the article itself so um would encourage people to take a look at it because it's definitely a a thinking article but um i do that. i do kind of i think for the purposes of evangelization you know I, I'm wondering what Casper's goal is here. And so and, and, and here's the thing about I, I really um enjoyed I the enjoyed, article I'm just
1: kidding.
0: I really enjoyed the article <laughs> to this point that it, it, it promotes dialogue and I think that's a good thing to talk out these issues and um you know to, to get people interested. So
1: I love articles like this by the way too, and I think it's good to that we have dialogue and bring things out to the open as well
0: sure because people might be asking questions people might look at something and be like "Eh, i don't think so and then just write off missio day but i encourage everyone Mm -hmm. to there's there's comment section people and i write back i know melissa writes back so Mm -hmm. uh you can uh you can talk to us nobody comments on your articles jonathan sorry
2: i know so rude i love
0: your articles jonathan
2: I, I, yeah. I'm not so
1: controversial. I do. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll get there. I'm getting some. So, you know, right so, now it's more gospel
0: reflections. From me. This kind of thing on mission. Um, so my my actual gospel reflection uh, for Monday, um, it takes place at the crucifixion in John's gospel. And when um, you get the line from Christ while he's on the cross, it is finished. And I think in this kind of comes into a Protestant theology of this idea that, you know, once saved, always saved. It is finished. There's nothing else to do. um, But maybe have some sort of faith. But um, the kingdom of God is... um So, I asked the question, of course, from a biblical interpretation standpoint, it is finished. What does that mean? So, in reference to Casper's quote, um, you know, to dig deeper, I ask, well, what's what's the origin of this thought? Where where does it come from? I don't know the exact pinpoint of it is, but I actually that the the farthest back that I can go uh, that I that I do know is from St. John Henry Newman. Now this might ruffle some feathers because St. Uh, John Henry Newman is a fairly popular. Uh, saint in the modern Catholic Church. But he wrote a book, or it's kind of an essay. I say it's a book because it's a long essay. It's called The Essay of the Grammar of, of, Grammar of Ascent. And it's a very good book about, um, I think it should be studied in uh, philosophy classes for epistemolo- epistemology, like how we know things. And so, But in The Grammar of Ascent, uh, there's a concept that, um, that Newman comes up with, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but it's called the aboriginal vicar of christ have you heard of this
1: no actually i have not
0: uh so the aboriginal uh vicar of christ and so newman became popular uh through the vatican ii council mm-hmm. post uh, conciliar um thought and so the vicar of christ um the argument is is that the aboriginal vicar of christ is the conscience. And so if we just merely follow our conscience, we're doing the will of God, and we will be saved. <laughs> this is kind of the string of thought. Now, the problem and, uh, the, with me with this, this, uh, this idea and why I think we get to Casper's kind of line of thought and other um, kind of modern uh, theologians is... Um, why it's odd to me is, is I, it, it, um, what it does is it, it ignores the fall of man, it ignores original sin. Because if you remember from Thomas Aquinas or just the um, Genesis story, um, so we're made in the image of, likeness of God, right? So when we're made in the image of likeness of God, the Word of God, so. The reason of God, the mind of God, we possess in our souls powers of powers of the soul. So we possess the intellect, we possess the will, and we have passions or desires. And so, we were in a state of grace with the Holy Spirit when we were originally created. Where our so, according to Thomas Aquinas, uh, you know, conscience is the act of. How to put it, um, orderly knowledge. So, in our, in our original state of holiness, and the Catechism talks about this, I think it's uh, 375 is the paragraph, but you'd have to double look that up. Uh, so, our, so, our wills and our desires were subservient to the intellect, but after um, the fall of man and the original sin, our intellect becomes darkened. And so the will and our desires are no longer subservient to the intellect. Our intellect becomes clouded. We can't trust our judgment. And that's when Jonathan says, said earlier, we have to have a rightly formed conscience. Yeah. Well, if that's true, we can't trust an aboriginal vicar of Christ because our 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 conscience is darkened from yeah. original sin.
1: And there's we're all from what I'm understanding of it This topic is we're all naturally infused with a natural conscience, right? Yes. Now, this, but the next step is, of course, a properly formed conscience, which does, you know, entail a lot of things, moving away emotion, proper virtues. So that's why when I'm writing about my topic here, you know, in order to have a properly formed conscience, it's not just focusing on the natural conscience that we're all given because we're all given a natural conscience. it's about forming that conscience informing that conscience with the intellect and of course we you know look to the church church fathers uh, magisterium and all these things to help infuse a rightfully formed conscience this is why we have the the issue here in the church right now with with which you see you know i don't want to get on a hot topic too much but You have Nancy Pelosi over here that's fighting a particular thing, you know, abortion topic. And then you have the church that's been very, very clear in the catechism and everywhere on our stance on abortion. Well, I think a lot of this has to do with a properly formed and a mature conscience embracing that, you know. I'm not not attacking Pelosi at the moment, but I'm saying that there may be some error here. Sure. And it takes work. We have to pray for our brothers
0: and sisters. Amen. Amen. Melissa, you wanna jump in here, or?
2: Well, I would say I'm not an expert on properly formed consciousness, as, as Jonathan is. So I'm gonna let him take that. I take that question. I think he answered that perfectly.
0: Sure. Sure. Well, we're gonna move more into the mission aspect. I'm not an
1: expert either on this, Melissa. Um, well, you're my expert for now, so I'll, well, yeah, I'll take yeah, it.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we yeah so work,
1: we all need to work in this area everywhere. yes
2: we do
0: we do yeah so we're going to move into more of the mission aspect of acts and um some of the um rhetorical devices and um however this is we're going to talk a little bit too about melissa's book uh walk the land so um of course being pentecost um you know i want to kind of tie this into the acts of the apostles so um one of the features of the Pentecost narrative, of course, well, after the Pentecost uh, narrative. So you have, um, of course, the Holy Spirit and the tongues of fire and the, the apostles, just, you know, the disciples, um, the way the narrative says, there's many of them. They just, they bust out of the upper room and they, uh, they start talking to the crowd. And th- there's many different, uh, so I got a list of them here. There's, um, so it's the Feast of Pentecost, right? So lots of people are in Jerusalem. And lots of people from... So, what we have in Jerusalem is um, diaspora Jews. So, basically, because of the Babylonian exile, um, there's some Jews that never came back to Jerusalem. Uh, they just stayed where they were along the way to Babylon. And so, um, and that's, you know, they refer to that as the diaspora. So, of course, they still come to the temple for feast. And you have... Let's see, the list here is Parthians, Medes, um, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, and etc. There's, there's, there's a few more there, and so what we have here is um, kind of a calling back to um, the gospel in itself. So in the gospel in itself, um, there's a reference to uh, uh, my mind's going blank here. So. It often refers to I believe it is Isaiah 49 6 but don't quote me on that um, and 49 6 is a prophecy that um, basically the Lord will come and and save all nations and so this repeats uh, throughout uh, the Gospels and throughout um, the New Testament and so One key feature of the Pentecost narrative is uh, the speeches. Peter gives a speech right after the Pentecost movement. In fact, there's over 20 speeches, um, and I think that's into the 30s, but um, when I looked it up, um, it said 24. So I think people count different parts uh, according to Acts. So there's over 20 speeches in the Acts of the Apostles. Now, speeches, if you read any type of Roman literature, so Greco-Roman, uh, there's always speeches in the narrative, and these are narrative devices to move, to kind of build up excitement and drama in the literature and kind of move the narrative. And so, these speeches uh, play a key feature. Now, kind of what I see that, and when it comes to proclaiming the gospel, is kind of our mission here at Missio Day. What's our rhetorical devices to, to spread the gospel? Well, I think... One of the things is is um so if we refer back to um acts one eight um Jesus calls the disciples to witness now Melissa's book walk the land I think there's there's a lot of good stuff in in there about to to witness so what we get here in the Pentecost event is an unlocking of the Tower of Babel we get where there is a reversal of division and a call to unity to the Gospel. And this is throughout um, the Acts of the Apostles. So, the first conversion of a Gentile is found in Acts 10, uh, Cornelius, He's he's a centurion, in Caesarea. And Caesarea in Palestine is the only true Roman city in Palestine by the Roman Empire. And so, this is the edge of the world, the ends of the world. So, kind of with that idea of moving away from Jerusalem, going to the ends of the world with the gospel, Melissa, tell the listeners and readers why your story is important.
2: Um, you know, I think for me, it's it's always been uh, something on my heart, to be honest. <clears throat> I think that uh, seeing seeing my story or reading my story or hearing about my story um, through the lens of, of a real-time person who went through real-time events um, gives it a, a different flavor. You know, sometimes we read the saints and they're so far away from us. Um, at least that's how I feel sometimes. Like, you know, this person is... So perfect or or the way that they're written about is in such a state or a way that their their real treacherous, dirty journey is not always told. Um, And you've got to go chase those books to find out, well, St. Jerome, yeah, he really had a temper. It was bad. (laughs) You know, um, he wasn't just a saint who was perfect and, you know, and wrote the Vulgate and all of these things. And I think that what God has called me to do is to be vulnerable. And the reason for that is because, and I wrote about it today in um, in my gospel reflection, is that the the universal language that every human being understands is suffering. There's not a person on this planet that doesn't understand what it means to suffer. And I think through my story, which is really based on my childhood trauma and how coming out of that childhood trauma sort of formed, I guess my conscious, Jonathan. You know, in terms of my seeking after God. Um, and how that story progressed through that treacherous land and those waters to where I am now, which will give those readers a sense of what that looks like. Um, I think that's what people are craving right now. They want honesty. They want vulnerability. They want dirty religion. They don't want um, somebody who goes in the pews and puts their veil on and is sitting there perfectly. Um, Because if you ask me my story, when you walk up to me in a pew, I'm gonna tell you the same story um, that I'm gonna write. And I think that in order to uh, really tell my story, you have to go through those gory details in the same way that the Lord took us through the crucifixion. Um, And it's hard to look away from that, but it's who we are. Yes, you know, we are an Easter people, but don't forget, you know, we are people of of the crucifixion as well. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's important. I'm going to add
0: right there real quick. Fulton Sheen, Venerable Fulton Sheen said... You can't get the Easter Sunday without Good Friday.
2: And I think that's, that's so true. Really? Um, <laughs> yes, and it's so true. It's so true because um, I wanted to produce a book that was honest. I wanted to produce a book not only telling about my conversion from the sense of, okay, I was a Jewish person who converted to Catholicism. That's fascinating, yes. Um, but there's an underbelly to that. You know, there's reasons for that. Um, Not only that, I talk about in the book, actually the next chapter coming out, um, we'll be talking about my days in Hebrew school. And so how some of that played into my conversion as somebody who had already experienced uh, childhood trauma, but I've not talked about it. And now sort of that beginning of seeking who is God? And, you know, if I have nothing else and I'm already broken, then then who else do you really go to? Um, And I think that's what people really need. They need hope. And as I tell people in all walks of life that come into my life, you know, I'm I'm not here to sell you on the church, you know, I'm just here to tell you my story. I'm just here to tell you how I got there, you know, and I'm just here to tell you who saved me. There's really nothing more than that. You know, either you believe it or not. Um, and that's, that's the way it works. Right. Sure.
0: I think this is a key to, so I was sitting in a pastoral council meeting, um, the other night and I was talking about uh, evangelizing the community going out there and getting people in um, in the pews now the community I live in is uh, very there's a lot of Hispanic immigrants and I know a lot of them still don't go to mass but I know they're probably baptized Catholics and I'm just like if we got all of these people in to the church we'd have to build a cathedral because we'd have to have the space. And every time I address this, I've addressed it two or three times, I'm just, I, I, I'm met with such pessimism. Like, I'm in there, like, I feel like I'm the only optimist. And, you know, I have I, every excuse why we can't get people to come in. And it's every excuse why to just try to man, maintain the status quo. Now, I don't know um, if any of you are sports fans, but, or sports in school, but so I played sports and, uh, and I've been a sports fan most of my life, although I don't have much time for it anymore. Uh, little kids, but, um, one thing, um, and it, when you're playing a game is so a lot of times in football, um, a team will get, will get a big lead against another team. And so they'll slow down the offense. They'll, um, they'll just run the football. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to just, uh, tick the time off the clock. But what happens a lot of times is, is they stop being active. They stop being aggressive trying to score. And a lot of times it allows the other team to come back and even win the game. And so I kind of view that um, analog- analogously to the church, where I think we're just trying to tick time off the clock till Jesus gets back, and we're not being proactive trying to uh trying to win souls for God and evangelization. And so we need to go we need to go out optimism. Now, in regards to your book, Melissa, the kind of thing so there's um kind of give uh people a little motivation to kinda sign you know, sign up for some subscriptions. Um you know, you can sign up for uh five dollars a month and uh get to read uh Melissa's unedited story before it goes to uh, to get edited um miss yeah, and it helps missy day so if you like the if you like the free content, please subscribe for the paid content because that keeps the the free stuff coming and we got uh, we got more projects on the way too, so we'll tell you a little bit more of that later, but in regards to your book, you talk about of course um some um uh, some a little bit shocking um, abuse, and another thing that you talk about is to me, that I that kind of startled me is, and I even messaged you about it. Um, you you mentioned a private revelation, and I was like, "Whoa, that's different." I feel like I'm reading uh, Sister Faustina now. Uh, so, um, and I'll let you talk about a little bit that. But I think in regards to your book and talking about dirty religion. So a lot of people refer back to um, kind of a shock value of Flannery um, O'Connor. And I think one difficulty there, though, is so Flannery O'Connor says sometimes um, in a deaf world, you have to shout to get notice. But Flannery O'Connor wrote fiction. I think what, what differs from evangelization in witnessing as Acts of the Apostles... You know, calls us to do a uh, sacred scripture. Um, is to write your story. Which is is nonfiction. It's true. It happened to you. It's a true witness. So, what do you think is important to to get more of this out? So, um, I think before kind of let you guys go in on this. I think I don't think apo- um, apologetics. Is going to convert souls. I mean, it might, someone who's already religious and interested might already dig into it a little bit and they might get convinced. They might go look on a, you know, Bishop Barron video. They might uh, find Matt Frad. But I think the, the so primarily, Melissa, I know you were talking to me, who should be the people. That um, we're trying to reach and I really think that it's the unchurched people that may have been baptized um, But they're just apathetic. They're not nuns. They're not they're not nuns um, the n o n e s. They're not They're not non-religious And have no aspect of it, but they're just they're just kind of like meh take it or leave it I, I might think there's a God out there and that falls into like Catholic and Protestant and it's it's given them an honest story an honest gritty story so they can it can wake to why Jesus Christ is important you know I'm not gonna if I go to the store and I pick up a book about somebody's testimony and it's about oh to be a Protestant and my wife used to be a Protestant and we were really anti-Catholic, and then I started researching Catholicism and decided it's the truth. Oh, exciting! It's not exciting. It's it's just not. And people people know probably the people I'm talking about, but I'm not going to say them by name. But it's just not exciting. And lots of and and that's that's the popular stuff. Like that's the stuff that gets all the money in Catholic media, and I don't understand it. Like, you know if if i flip on hbo and see what the hot show you know that's not game of thrones that's not that's not the that stream game of thrones They're, oh man the house whatever stark was convinced by the house whatever uh just because they were they saw some document and they convinced them no that's just no, they want the grit. Mm-hmm. They want they want the dirt. And that's life. And you know, I think the gospels are like that. You know, you talk about Are you guys familiar with The Chosen? Yes. Yeah. Have you seen The Chosen? So I think in the second season, there's a really so it portrays, of course, some of this is made by the uh, the writers of the show. Um it's not to kind of flesh out the gospel. So do you remember where it's the uh, the paralytic who's trying to get to the pool of Siloam? And this whole episode yeah. is the entire backstory. They just make up this backstory that tells about his trials of how he got to where he was getting and how dirty and in the, and the rock and the muck. And he was just utter- and Jesus walks in and says, do you want to be healed? And he gives all these different reasons of why you can't get into the water. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't ask you about that. Do you want to be healed? He talks about it's Jesus and in his, in, in his person. And so I think when it comes to missionary, how, how do we as disciples of Christ how do we bring that to people? How does your story, Melissa, or how does you envision Missy Day, or Jonathan too on the, on this uh, kind of secondary question, how do we bring that to people?
2: Well, I think we've got, got on some level wade through a lot of the fluff. You know, I think what makes Missy Day different is that it allows us to tell stories in the way that they happened. Um, whether that's from a theological perspective, um, on issues or, you know, my writing, which, you know, I consider to be more Catholic lifestyle than I do theological, obviously, although it has, it's theologically sound writing. Um, I find that in Catholic media, you know, there is just not a lot of honesty in terms of, you know, what really happened or what is really going on, um. And I think that's what makes Missy O'Day different. You know, I'm a big fan of indie films. I like indie anything. I'm, I'm the outcast. I'm the indie girl. I'm the weird girl. You know, um, if everybody's going left, I'm going right. And um, I know that's sort of a weird analogy, but it's like, okay, I want something different. You know, I want to consume something different. Um, I want to read about real people who went through real things and how Christ got them through that. And... That's essentially what my book is. You know, I didn't know back then during that private revelation that that was Christ. I was three years old, right? But the way in which God showed up over and over again in so many different ways, um, which you'll have to read when you sign up uh, for Missio Day, um, is a real story of a real person, again, uh, about what happened and following that and saying, you know, I'm not in a very good place in my life. And I've been away from the church. And I have my sacraments, or maybe I don't have my sacraments. And, you know, I'm just sort of running around in circles here, you know, using mantras. Not, that there's anything wrong with that, you know, or, you know, running into different religions or um, whatever that is. When, when really it's sort of like, well, you know, all you have to do is come home. You know, it, it's not very complicated, but we as humans make it so complicated because there are a lot of choices and there are a lot of things that are going on that don't contain truth. We don't know that because we're on a, on a, on a journey. You know, I've always said to people who come in my life cause I have friends from many different backgrounds and religions. Um, and I love, and I respect them all. And that's actually a very important part of my journey. Um, and I always tell them when they come to me for counsel, I'm like, you have to go on your journey, whatever that looks like, however that is. And I'm here for you, you know, to help you sort of be a guide along the way. I am not responsible for outcomes. You know as as someone who's who's um a missionary we're all missionaries right in the church we're not responsible for outcomes you know we are responsible like the you know to to walk people like they like jesus did in on the road to emmaus right to be next to them to explain things to them to help them to do all the things that jesus would do and i think that's what makes missio day different is we do that you know, that it does remind me um, of the road to Emmaus and having, you know, talking with Jesus and walking with Jesus and inviting Jesus in for a meal. And then all of a sudden, when do they realize it's Jesus in the breaking of the bread? But he wasn't talking to them about the breaking of the bread all the way during the journey. He was just talking to them. Um, and, and I think that that's what's important. You know, there's no, there's no uh, magic that goes into evangelizations. I show up as myself every day. And if that means I'm going to tell them a horrible story about my abuse, um, or I'm going to tell them about the suffering that I've endured since then, or how the church has helped me, whether it's been through um, the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of anointing of the sick, which I've received when I've had a mental health episode, I'm going to tell them that. And I'm going to be honest about that, because that is why the church exists. You know, Jesus said that the church is for the sick, not for the righteous. Righteous. So I just say, here I am, I'm sick. You know, open the door for me, open the door. And I have a place to go, a real, tangible, ethereal, forever, eternal place to go. And why wouldn't I want to tell everybody about that? It is not my responsibility to, to walk them into heaven. It's my responsibility to tell them my story. And that's it.
0: Yeah, yeah I think, um, nice. kind of um, going off of what you said, you know, we're called the witness and that's telling your story. That's, that's witnessing. And then we forget. So it's Pentecost, right? So I think a lot of times we forget once we witness or, you know, prior to witnessing uh, through our baptism confirmation, the, the power, so to speak, of the Holy spirit working through us. And also, the holy spirit working in the person who is hearing and so getting back to that um that um kind of that eschatological event so um when i when i made the comments in that that article on missio day so you gotta check that article out um i talk about uh cardinal avery doles he writes and models of the church and one of the models he writes about is the model of herald so model of proclamation of the gospel and he says the proclamation of the gospel or witnessing an event because a person, when they hear the gospel, they have to choose for Christ or against Christ. They have to choose, do I radically change my life or do I not Or do I try, or, or am I trying to do that? And so they're they're ultimately choosing salvation, or they're choosing damnation. And so, should we assume from that aspect that is it better to to know or to not know the gospels? And so we're somehow ignorant of this this event. And I think that's some of the um the pro- the problem of where it gets that Casper uh, comment. Because Lumen Gentium 16, so it's quoted in that article, but it's a large paragraph, and so I quote I quoted the second part of that par- paragraph where it talks about, sure, it's possibility that people can be saved without being part of the church, but we it's not a probability, and in f- we th- that we're in a spiritual warfare. And we're in spiritual battles every day. And the evil one, which Lumen Gentium, that's how they refer to Satan, does not want us to go to heaven. He wants us to be miserable and in hell. And so he will do everything that he can to cloud our conscience and cloud our judgment and to reject the gospel. And so the best way to prevent that from happening to people who have never heard of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is to witness to them and tell them about the gospel and the ordinary means of salvation. Got anything to say, Jonathan?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, the more I look at Mr. Day and, and we talk here and I think of a couple of things is there's, a few ways to evangelize. I mean, there's no one way to do it, right? I mean, everybody here on this panel right now has different personalities, different approaches. I think Melissa was touching on this a little bit. Um, how she's, you know, giving her story out there and being very genuine and honest. And Philip, you know, you're a very theological guy. And we have and what I love about Miss Day is we have different articles, right? For different personalities. I think when you said earlier, you know, not everyone's looking for the, the raw, some people are, some people aren't, some people are looking for reason, right, theological reason to, to learn about Christ. Something I learned when I was going to school, and I'm glad I went to school for that too, was, I remember uh, being challenged on that, I think, a, little, a while back, I mean, can, you know, Jesus be understood through reason? Well, yes, you know can understand them through reason too so we have a lot of ways to evangelize the thing and, and and we have to do this we have to get out there and our mission has to be to be uh not scared you know i think for a long time i was just scared to tell a, mom, a lot of my friends i'm catholic you know and well I prayed the holy spirit helped me on that and i've become much more confident i try to evangelize to all walks of life you know Uh, so that that's what i kind of wanted to make a statement on that i'm really glad to be part of mr day and i think we are going to grow and 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 i like the different perspectives we have right because yeah there might be someone at home saying "Oh, i really love melissa's writing i really love that you know and someone might like me too here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: i think really you know
1: Jonathan on this you know and oh poor philip you know off the boot. i'm just kidding
0: <laughs> it's always uh, you know you know i've talked about it sometimes like i i talk about you know there's times that i've spent a lot of time on a reflection and it it, it i i i publish yeah. it and then it just bombs and i'm just like but i spent so much time on it and then there's other times it's like oh, man, I'll just write this real quick thing, you know, this thought I had, you know, I'm kind of crunched for time, and everybody loves it, and I'm just like, "Uh, what?
2: (laughs) Well, you know,
1: and that that we were talking about, that reminds me, too, like, look, and I'll just be honest, like, I gravitate towards Father Chris's articles. Like, I really love to read that. That's just my personality. They're like, that's, now, maybe three or four years ago, I wouldn't have been quite as interested in that. I don't know, and it's just... Sure. We're so different. I mean, we connect so differently. I mean, but I I do think one last thing I will say is like I've gotten so many positive things. I was talking at the church last night with a guy I never even met before, really nice guy, who was so inspired by the Father Stew movie. You know, and I think this is really what Melissa was pointing as that real life conversion. You know, the and he's like, man, when I saw Father Stew. That was like me, you know. I'm a tough guy, <laughs> you know, stuff like that, you know. Yeah. And he was—it was just so cool to see him, like, yeah, there was somebody like like me out there that was crazy and became into Christ and the Lord helped us. Helped us. In. Well, yeah, of course, he loves the—he loves us all, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I excellent. haven't seen the movie yet, but I'm really, really excited to see it. And I think, uh you know, I think Melissa, you saw it, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I think I might have even written a piece about it when cool. I. Uh, yeah, I believe I did write a piece about it when I saw it. Yeah, it was it was really good. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I did see it too. It's uh, it's one of those where it's kind of, it's, it uh, it definitely carries the dirt with it, along with the yeah. the gospel message. So, yeah, I think it, you know, like, and is that. You know, pieces are good when they promote conversation. So, you know, I I, I, I ask everyone to... So I quoted the uh, uh, the Casper quote from the article that I posted this week on uh, who can save. I, I definitely... Everyone should go and check that out um, and look at the comments. And I always encourage people to comment back. And let's flesh it out because, you know... I mean some if you read a piece and that's that's and there's there's no further discussion, you know a lot of people might in the comments for a little more insight, and so that's that's a good place where everyone can engage um like i said the um you know um we comment there and it's a good place to to talk to us you know there's yeah. there's a lot of us to have you know, variety of backgrounds. We, we have, um, so, um, we have a clinical psychologist. We have priests that write for us. We have a deacon. Um, we have a lawyer. Um, you know, I'm a, I have a master's degree in theology. Jonathan's working on his. He's a, he's a school teacher. So there's a lot of backgrounds in Missio Day that you can, you can get that, that insight and that experience with. So I think that's, that's important. Um, so yeah, so um just finishing up here, we're just a little over an hour here. Um I'm gonna ahead and um just talk about some of the, the things that we're working on for Missio Day where you can help us. One of the things that we're gonna be working on here in the future is to help um with Missio Day is we're gonna be uh doing some fundraising, uh, maybe like a um a Kickstarter um project. So What we have in the works is a Lectio Divina journal. Um, One of the things that I was looking on as, you know, sacred scripture is that I wanted a good Lectio Divina journal to be able to, you know, explore scripture and kind of that that living gospel aspect. So when I looked on the internet to find a good Catholic product, I I couldn't find one. Um, I did find some um, fairly good Protestant um, ones, but I was like, you know what? Miss this 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 is somewhere where you know our expertise and Missio Day, we can get we can make this journal and we can make it for our readers and our listeners and everyone and everyone who supports us. Um you can um you can join us, um, help us fundraise, uh purchase this journal. Um and when you support projects like this, that's what helps us uh continue the free projects like are the free um uh gospel reflections and and um, other articles too the other thing that we're working on getting ready to submit to um, some publishers or we may self-publish is um we have a collaboration of uh many of our writers and we've uh written a book on the revival uh Work on a title. I'm really rooting for just calling it the Eucharistic Revival Project. Kind of like, um, you know, the band E-L-O. Um, you know, we're going to go on tour with the Eucharistic Revival Project and uh, um, Jonathan, he plays guitar. Um, I'm not going to sing or no one will come out, but no. Jokes aside, it's a really good, um, you know, I've, I've taken a glance at some of the uh, the chapters that we've written. And we've written them from, you know, the Old Testament um, to currently to Pope Francis and every aspect of the saints and in between in sacred scripture. uh, Dealing with the Eucharist, each author takes on a different perspective. A chapter on St. Paul and 1 Corinthians, which is the oldest tradition of the Last Supper in the New Testament. So a lot of things were good um, when I was researching that. I, I really enjoyed that so that's a good project that we're working on too um, Melissa's still working on her uh, book walk the land walk the land I always want to say walk the line because of Johnny Cash
2: <laughs> so yeah.
0: I always had to catch myself mm-hmm. uh, so walk the land uh, with Melissa and what else do we I think I covered them all I think cool. I covered all the projects that we're currently working on uh, we have some authors um, we did get uh, some new authors coming in so um I'm excited about that. And um so before we uh, sign off here
1: Joseph. again is it Joseph Tuttle's book that is that the one that we Yes, really-
0: Joseph Tuttle's book, uh Stations of the Cross. You can get that on Amazon. Yeah. Just type Joseph Tuttle T U T T L E in Amazon. It should come up. You'll see it, uh Stations of the Cross with Father John A. Harden S.J. and uh, purchase that for yeah. Purchase that. You can get it for ninety nine cents uh, for the digital copy, or you can uh, get the paper uh, back for ten dollars. And you can find us on the Catholic uh, Marketing Network as well. And let's see. So we'll just finish up here. I'm gonna just go. So we're gonna we're gonna practice our uh, our proclamation of the gospel. So. Before we sign off here, um, each one of us is going to give our elevator speech for why uh, you, should be, uh, you should follow Christ and be a Catholic. Jonathan, go. All
1: right. Uh, <coughs> honestly, to me, it's it, true freedom. You know, everything else that I was in, in in the world never allowed me to be truly, truly free. Once I went back into the Catholic Church, really really gave my my heart to christ and believe me it's hard as we can all say on here it's very very difficult still to be living this way uh but the true freedom is founded in christ do not put your things into this world and put it into christ and that that would be what i would say
0: excellent melissa i just got on the elevator why should i why should i follow christ (laughs)
2: Well, we are living in a very hurting world. Um, There are so many things going on in this world and there are a lot of choices in the way that we handle them. Um, But those things never pan out, as Jonathan said, in terms of where we're looking. The Catholic Church offers something that nobody else offers, which is healing, real healing, and not healing from just a medicinal standpoint, not healing just from a conscious standpoint, but healing in the soul. Um, And unless you're really healed in your soul, you're never gonna be healed. And the only place on earth that offers that is the Catholic Church through the Sacrament of Reconciliation, the Sacrament of Anointing of the Sick um, and the Eucharist. And I would beg and implore anybody, if you're hurting right now, um, whether you've been a part of our church or you haven't, you're looking for a place of hope um, and you've tried other healing modalities, I would ask you to come to the Catholic Church. Um, we We are the healers because Jesus Christ is the healer of all eternity.
0: Sure. yeah that's yeah great. and there's um and of course that's not ignoring that, you know, of course people have also been hurt by our church too, and um acknowledging that, and I think you know if that's the case, you know like acknowledge that and apologize, but I would say at this, um you know if you've been you've been hurt you know by priest or other lay people, you know not that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. And I, I, you, Melissa, can find, you can find Christ in the Catholic Church. Keep looking. He's there.
1: I want to just say real quickly, too, that Melissa said something earlier that a lot of people and my friends, I have to remind them, it's, it is a place for the sick, right? I mean, <laughs> if we were all perfect, we would not be in this Catholic Church. I mean, so there is going to be, you know, problems there that happen. Sure.
0: Yeah. All right. So my my elevator speech, you guys got on the elevator. I'd be like, have you guys seen the news lately? Things are terrible. Just look at the world. Disease, war, um, shootings. It's rampant. It's just evil and disgusting. But I think deep in our foundation we all know that there's good out there we all know that there's goodness and these things take away from it as gk chesterton said um, and of course this is a paraphrase of his actual quote because i've hunted it down original sin is the clearest doctrine the most clear doctrine of the catholic church you see it all around us where does goodness come from search for where the good is search it look for it it is jesus christ i promise you period amen amen all right so let's end um in prayer i'm going to end in a glory be since it's uh you know, got the Holy Spirit in it. So we'll end in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever will be, be world, world without end. Amen. Amen. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Alright. Again, support us. We need your support. And we look forward uh, to interacting with you here on the podcast and on our website at dot missyodeicatholic.org see you there goodbye see you there everybody